Church, this morning, it's so good to be with you all in the house of God. Today, we're taking a bit of a break from our series on the book of Acts, which we'll do to, from time to time as the Lord leads. And today, we're going to speak about the topic of revival. You would have seen from my subtitle, I've asked the question, is revival possible in our time? Is revival possible in our day and age? The topic of revival has been on my heart for some time now, and leading up to Pentecost, which is next week, we'll start today with part one of a part two series and land next week, Sunday, on this most significant day of Pentecost when the church was first born. Now, revival is a word that is sometimes loosely used in church circles to try and get the church motivated about a move of God and is in most cases misrepresented. We also hear about the word spiritual or great awakening used for the same purposes. And some would say that the distinction between the two words that are often used interchangeably, awakening and revival, is that an awakening is what happens to a culture or a nation, but revival begins with an individual. It begins with you. An awakening could be classified as a time when God sovereignly pours out His Spirit and impacts a nation or a culture. But revival is what happens to believers. It's what believers must experience. It's when Christians come back to life and when the church becomes what it was always meant to be. It's a returning to passion. It's a type of passion that the prophet Habakkuk had when he prayed this in Habakkuk chapter 3. He said, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I've heard about all the stories about what you did in the old days and how you revived your people. Do it again. Revive your work again. The psalmist says in, in Psalm 85 verse 6, it says, Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Church, let me start off by asking you a question this morning. How badly do we want to see another revival? Is it something that you think about? Is it a, a burden of your heart? Or is it something that you never really think about at all? Now, there's a reality I want to share with you about revival this morning. Often we pray for prosperity for our nation and for our own lives. But the fact is that revival often explodes when there's calamity in the world. Many, if not all, the great revivals or spiritual awakenings happened when the world or a nation was in disarray. After a spiritual awakening that took place in the United States of America, that was called the Jesus Movement, in which a pastor named Chuck Smith was involved, many years later he was asked if he ever thought there would be another Jesus Movement. And his answer was, while people were desperate for revival back then, I'm not so sure that they are desperate enough right now. So we need to ask ourselves the, the question, how desperate are we? Can I have some volume on this mic, please, Frankie? Church, how desperate are we? 
And while we're considering that question, let's try to understand what revival is. Let's strip away the mystery by asking the question, what is revival? Well, church, simply put, it's to come alive again. It's to revive something that was once dead and to bring it back to life. And you know, from time to time, we need to be revived. It's the spark, of you, if you will, that ignites a fire. And you know, some people would say, you know what, why bother about revival? Because revival is only temporary. The great evangelist Billy Sunday once said, and I quote, They tell me a revival is only temporary, but so is a bath, and that does you some good. End quote. So revival may be temporary, church, but I would say that we need one right now. Revival is like waking up from your slumber. And someone wants to find revival as nothing more or less than a new beginning of obedience to God. And what's important to know, church, when we are praying for revival, we are not praying that non-believers have revival. This is for believers. Look, non-believers don't need revival. They need salvation. The church needs revival. This is a, a church word. This is for believers only who once perhaps were more alive than they are today, and they need to be revived again. It was Charles Spurgeon that said, To be revived is a blessing which can only be enjoyed by those who have some degree of life. Those who have no spiritual life are not and cannot be in the strictest sense of the term subjects of revival. A true revival is to be looked at and looked for in the church of God. Revival is for the church. One author put it this way, and I love this. He says, if all those sleeping people will wake up, if all the lukewarm people will fire up, if all the dishonest people will confess up, if all the disgruntled people will cheer up, if all the offended people will make up, if all the gossipers will shut up, if all the true soldiers will stand up, if all the dry bones will shake up, and if all the church people will pray up, then we can have a revival. Amen. Because you see, church, revival starts with us. Then it affects the church. Then the church affects the nation. So let's go now to a familiar passage of Scripture to see what God's prescription of revival is. This is something that was given to the nation of Israel and applied to them. But I think in principle, it applies to us as well. This is what the Lord says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So church, we want God to heal our land, right? We want our nation to change. In this scripture, the Lord lays it out for us. And guess where he starts? With his people. A lot of times we want to point our finger at somebody else. We say the issue is in our country. We say, you know, the source of the problems are with our government. 
But God says the source of the problems are in his house, the church. Notice what he says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You see, church, God doesn't say anything about secular culture here. He doesn't say anything about the unsaved world. He's talking to his own people, which is you and me. You see, one of the problems we have in church today is that we have a lot of people running around who think they are Christians that really are not. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, check up on yourselves. Are you really Christians? Do you pass the test? Do you feel Christ's presence and power more and more within you? Or are you just pretending to be Christians when actually you aren't at all? There are some Christians who are living a double life, who put it on a good performance in church. They say all the right things, but they're living a life that is completely contradictory to what the Bible says about how a Christian should be living. So church, when we talk about revival, what do we want to do if we want to see another revival? Let's have a look at a couple of things. Number one, if you want to see revival, you have to humble yourself and pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. By the way, the word used there for prayer is, is very interesting. Because of the 12 Hebrew words used in Scripture to express a single verb to pray, the one used here means to judge self habitually. It means to judge yourself on a continual basis. You see, most times we're so quick to judge and criticize others habitually. But the Bible says that we should really be judging ourselves. If we spend less time criticizing others and more time examining ourselves, maybe we would have revival. It starts with you. It starts with me. And you know, church, Jesus didn't say in Scripture that we need to love ourselves. That's what the world will tell you, right? In fact, Jesus says that you need to deny yourself. You need to pick up your cross daily and follow him. And then in here, here in this scripture, he says that you need to judge yourself habitually. And in effect, what this means, church, is that we have to sit with a constant realization that we still have a long way to go. Amen? So let me ask you another question. How many of you are completely satisfied with where you are spiritually right now? If you don't think there's any more need for change or, or transformation in your life, and you're happy with where you are spiritually at this moment, raise your hand. I'm glad no one raised their hands, because no one should. Any Christian who really knows what it is to follow Jesus will always realize that they still have a long way to go. The Apostle Paul said, after years of walking with the Lord, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, My brothers... I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually, nor do I consider myself already perfect. But I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. My brothers, I do not consider myself to have fully grasped it even now. But I do concentrate on this. 
I leave the past behind and with hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal. My reward, the honor of being called by God in Christ. That's beautiful. You know, church, it has been said that self-satisfaction is the death of progress. In other words, the moment I think that I've arrived, the moment I think that I've reached the summit, guess what? I'm still a really a long way off. You've got to keep growing. You've got to keep learning so that you can keep moving forward spiritually. Very importantly, when we talk about the topic of revival, it's important to note that you and I cannot organize a revival. We cannot manufacture one. But we can agonize for one in prayer. You know, perhaps we can prepare the ground. We can do that. But better yet, maybe we ought to pre-prayer the ground. Amen? Shall I say that again? We can prepare the ground. But better yet, maybe we ought to pre-prayer the ground. Because did you know that there's never ever been a prayerless revival in all of history? So number one, revival starts when you humble yourself and pray. Number two, if you'll pray and seek His face. Not just pray, but seek the Lord's face. You see, you can say a little prayer that says, Lord, send revival, amen, let's go get some dinner. Or you can say, oh Lord, my God, we're seeking you, Lord. We're calling out for you, Lord. We are desperate for you. We need you. Lord, send revival into my life. Send an awakening to our nation. It's effectively a fervent prayer that will not take no for an answer. And you may say, well, pastor, aren't you being a bit presumptuous when you pray that way? Well, church, when I look at Scripture, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and he shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Another translation would say, Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, press on. Because you see, church, when we pray for revival, we are praying according to the will of God. Did you know that? When you're praying for the salvation of a loved one, you are praying according to the will of God. We need to press forward in our prayer and seek His face, not backing down. Number three, and this is really important, there must be repentance from all known sin. So first, we must humble ourselves or judge ourselves. We need to evaluate ourselves knowing that we still have a long way to go. Secondly, we pray with passion, with earnestness and complete dependence upon God. And thirdly, there must be repentance from all sin. Again, God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Listen, church, all the praying in the world is not going to help you if you're living in known sin. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 66, if I cling to iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you're holding on to some sin, that means that God's not going to hear your prayer. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 59, it says, listen. In other words, pay attention. The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. 
It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Church, to pray and then to live in known sin is like hanging up the phone to heaven. So it starts there, says the Lord. You need to look inwardly. Lord, is there any wickedness inside of me? If so, confess your sins and repent of your sins. And church, I don't want you to raise your hands for this this morning. But right now before God, and be honest with yourself. Is there something you're doing that you know you should not be doing as a follower of Jesus? If so, turn from it. Because you will never experience personal revival until you do. You see, church, it all comes down to personal obedience. And personal obedience brings personal revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And I want you to make this passage personal for you. Put your name in there. Take out my people and put in your name. I'll do it. If Ryan will humble himself and pray and seek my face and turn from his wicked ways, put your name in there. You know what's going to happen if you do that? You're going to experience personal revival. You know, church, I think a lot of times we overly mystify the idea of revival and we really don't need to. Because another word you can use for revival is the word restoration. Restoring something to its original condition. You know, if you see a cool old car that's cruising down the road that has been restored into showroom condition, you think, wow, that's, that's beautiful, right? Someone actually took the time to do that. But church, did you know that can happen in a life as well? Not just when the model first comes out. Not just when you first become a Christian. But you can keep it beautiful and you can keep it in perfectly restored condition. That's what you need. That's what I need. That's what the church needs. I want to share with you, there's a man named R.A. Torrey who was a friend of D.L. Moody. He was a great preacher and evangelist that traveled throughout the world and spoke a lot and led a lot of people to Christ. And he made a very interesting statement about revival that I want to share with you. And he said, and I quote, I have a theory that there is not a church, chapel, or mission on earth where you cannot have revival. Provided there is a little nucleus of faithful people who will hold on to God until he comes down. First, he says, let a few Christians... There need not be many. Get thoroughly right with God themselves. This is the prime essential. If this is not done, the rest I'm going to say will come to nothing. Second, let them bind themselves together in prayer groups for prayer revival and pray for revival until God opens the heavens and comes down. Third, let them put themselves at the disposal of God for Him to use them as he sees fit in the winning of others to Christ. That is all he says. This is sure to bring revival to any church or any community. I have given this prescription around the world, says Tori. 
It has been taken by many churches and many communities, and in no instance has it ever failed, and it cannot fail. End quote. That's pretty simple. So, Tori says, get right with God, get together with other Christians and pray for revival, and thirdly, make yourself available to God, especially in winning souls. And a church, again, like I said earlier, we cannot organize a revival. That's up to God. We cannot manufacture one. But we can agonize for one in prayer and call upon God to send it and then make ourselves available to God so that He can begin first in us. And you may be sitting there this morning and thinking, you know what, Pastor, I like your message. Or maybe you don't. But Pastor, I like your, your presentation on the Scriptures. But I really don't think that revival can begin in a simple person like me. For that matter, I'm not sure that revival can happen at all. I think Pastor Renal spoke about it about a year or two ago. But it's worth sharing again. So the story goes that in the 1940s in England, there was a professor by the name of James Edwin Orr. He taught theology at a university in England. And one day he decided to take his students on an excursion to go and see some of the historical sites in England that had some sort of theological meaning and significance. He took them to places that had been very strategic in the building up of the church and in the Christian faith. And one of the places that they visited was the Epworth Rectory. Now, a rectory, another name for a rectory, is a church manse, a place where a minister or a pastor would live. This specific rectory was the home and study place of one of the great re, the reformers of the church, a man by the name of John Wesley. A lot of the foundational theology we know today and study today came from reformers like him. So John Wesley would study, he would teach, and he would preach, and he would pray that revival would spread out. Not only in England, but right throughout the world. And he and others like him ushered in through teaching and preaching and evangelism and prayer some of the great revivals that swept the world at the time. People in masses were coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and it was almost like the heavens were opened up in a new way and revival broke out in a way that made the history books. People on the excursion visited this place and the professor showed them all around the house. He showed them where he would have eaten, where he would have slept and the place that he studied. They even saw some of the little handwritten notes that he had written that had been preserved. And then he took them up to the second floor where the most intimate quarters would have been. And when they walked into John Wesley's room, one of them noticed as they got around to the far side of the bed that there were two small patches that had been pressed down into the carpet. And the student asked the professor, what, what are these two patches? The professor explained that it is said that those two patches were the actual places where every morning not just for several minutes, but for several hours on end, 
John Wesley would plant his knees right beside his bed and he prayed so long and so hard for revival that his knees had actually imprinted themselves into that carpet. The students stood there in amazement for a few moments. Then they left the house to go and get onto the bus so that they could go to the next stop. Professor Orr took a quick head count and realized that one of the students was missing. So he went back into the rectory and, and looked around the house and then eventually upstairs in John Wesley's bedroom, he found the student who planted his knees down in those same well-worn patches on the floor and he could hear the student praying, Lord, do it again. Lord, would you do it again and would you do it again with me? He went to the student and, and gently touched him on the shoulder and said to him, it's time to go. And rising from his knees, Billy Graham went and joined the rest of the students on the bus. And church, I want to close by saying, what would happen today if there were some people in this church that were brave enough to say, Lord, would you send revival and would you start with me? People that would say, Lord, I'm not okay by being, just being called a, a, a Christian in title, who's just a good person, but isn't a person who's completely sold out for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you make it so that I'm different and unique and set apart and filled with the Holy Spirit to do your work? Lord, would you do it again and would you start with me? Church, let today be the day where we earnestly pray for revival. Where the Holy Spirit breaks out in such a way and so fully that there is not one person that walks the face of this earth that will not know that there is a God. And that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. And that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Lord, would you do it again? And Lord, would you begin with me? And church, as we, we close in prayer this morning, if you would bow your heads with me. If you say today, you want a personal revival, and you want the Lord to start a fire in you that will not only change you, but those around you, if you desire to commit all of yourself to the Lord, not just in word, but in action also. If you say, Lord, send revival and start with me. Then I want to ask you to raise your hand and pray this prayer after me. If that's you. All that require, is required is a little nucleus of faithful people to start revival. If that's you this morning, let's, would you repeat this prayer after me? Lord Jesus, I need revival. I need to wake up. I need to be restored. I want to be passionate for you. I want to be on fire for you, Lord. I want a greater hunger for the Word of God. A greater desire to pray. 
a stronger burden for non-believers. Lord, revive me. Refresh me. Fill me with the Holy Spirit right now. Lord, just like the psalmist says, revive me again so that I may rejoice in you. And let me take practical steps to do what honors you each and every day. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Everyone said,